last night watching Komarov play, watching Matt Martin play, both former Leafs now making it deep in the playoffs. So if you could choose one former Leaf that is still playing in the league to join our team next year, money doesn't matter. Just the players coming in, they're going to play for us. What former Leaf would you take? Like that second period, it was what within the span of like six minutes that they scored three goals, something like that. Like it was, well, yeah, short time. yeah, and they, and they were just like dominating the play, like so much zone time and like possession time. Like, like that was the perfect Islanders game if you're Barry Trotz. Yeah, it's too bad that they're facing the. They're facing Tampa Bay because I don't think they're going to be able to win that one. I just really don't want to see Tampa Bay go back to back because I don't even know a Tampa Bay fan. That's <laughs> so true. So, like, like, when Pittsburgh did it, I was like, you know what? Crosby had to his legacy. Pretty cool. I knew some Pittsburgh fans. They were jacked up. I don't even know anyone who's like, yeah, I'm a Tampa Bay fan. No. Although, I mean, I guess maybe in Florida there is, but yeah. They're just not one of those fan bases that have fans all over. No. Like, no, it's not, they definitely like you, like, you could walk into a room of, of like, 25, 50-year-old men and find two Blackhawks fans at least. Like, yeah, or Detroit fans or any New Yeah, Jersey something, fans you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. The fucking Blue Jays got... Quite the gift last night. Oh, did they? What happened last night? They were, they were, they were down two one. I'm pretty sure it was two one when it all had happened, and they could have thrown a double play to end the inning, and the other team overthrew first base, and the Blue Jays ended up scoring two oh, runs, shit. and they go going going up or two or three runs going up a couple, and then they ended up winning the game. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't hear anything about the game last night. Sweet. Fuck the White Sox. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. I honestly just, uh, I want to see them keep going. Like, as much as everyone talks about it, like, I just want to see the development. I know more and more as a Leafs fan every day, I'm like, you got to get that, like, experience in games that matter. Like, that's why the Leafs have to get out of the first round, like, sooner rather than later. Same with, like, the Jays. Like, they just need to continue being one of those teams that are hanging around so they get get the experience. It's like the team's super young, so I think they got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think they'll be a better team next year, even still. Like, this year they're, they're super inconsistent with their pitching and stuff. Yeah, they'll, they'll get better next year. Yeah, which actually surprises me. Um, it's weird to me, too, that, uh, like, Guys like Mavs can be lights out one night and then they're they're not very good the next. Yeah, well, and I found like even I was looking at stuff for today and like even their hitting's inconsistent though. Like one one day they'll have fourteen runs and then the next game they'll have two. Like yeah, obviously yeah. you're facing better pitchers and stuff, but 
that's a big discrepancy between yeah, the two. Yeah, you still gotta perform. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna call yourself an offensive team. You gotta be able to find the offense no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, to make up for shitty pitching. Yeah, and, and right now, like the the relievers look really good at the start of the season, but there's just not enough depth there, quite obviously. Like they blew a really good start yesterday by Robbie Ray, and that just can't happen. No. Did you see that? Like uh, when they're not. Uh, who was it? One of the reporters released their uh, AL All Star team voting, and none of the Jays pitchers were on it. <laughs> That's hilarious. No yeah. doubt. Vladdy and Simeon were on it, but nobody else. Simeon has been a steal. Oh, yeah. But I feel like people expected him to be because he's that mature presence too, right? Yeah, well, he was in some sort of MVP conversation years ago, so it's not like he just become a nobody. Yeah, he was a runner-up for the Golden Glove a couple of years. Yeah, so he's he's got it going on, and he's playing – he's not playing shortstop anymore, so that takes – some pressure off. Yeah. Where do we want to start today? You want to start with the Jays? Well, we kind of already did start with the Jays. I was recording all of that. <laughs> all right. Well, we can just keep rolling with it then. Um, the other thing that's freaked me out the last couple of days about the Jays is that they had all this depth in, at backcatcher, and now they have none of it like everyone is injured and like there's a lot of communication between your back catcher and your pitcher so like it, it kind of sucks to know that we have a weak pitching staff and one of our depth places was back catcher and now we don't really have that yeah that that like i feel like the back catcher is an underrated position for sure like the impact a good catcher has on a game is ridiculous because they're essentially choosing the pitches that are going to be pitched. So they have to know all of the players or the, all the batters that they're facing. Yeah, exactly. And, and like Danny Jansen offensively has some play to be desired, but I really do like how he commands the game behind the plate. And he gives a lot of confidence to our pitchers who obviously need some. So it sucks that he's going to be out for a bit. And then this should have been like a huge opportunity for McGuire or uh, what's his name? Uh, Kirk. Yeah. And I don't know what really happened there. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know too much about the Kirk injury, but like when they first started talking about it, it didn't sound like he was going to be gone for very long. Now it's been a couple weeks, and that's a lot of games in a baseball season. Like, that's the, that's the thing about the baseball's condensed season is, like, even a short-term injury, that's a lot of games you're missing. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that's really been the story of the Jays. As much as I don't want to focus on the injuries with the Jays, I want to focus more on the players that are playing. But it seems like every other week there's different players out with injuries. Like, I, we haven't seen this full team play together yet because um because we haven't seen springer at yeah, all yeah springer that's where that's where i'm concerned 
Yeah. We haven't seen Springer at all. Like, that's the biggest free agent. Like, I have such scary David Clarkson vibes from this right now. Like, I just don't even know what to think. No, because he's played, what, like three, four games? And then went back out and has he even been doing conditioning games in the minors or anything? I don't think so. Uh, he's been doing like simulated games I've heard a little bit about, but I haven't even heard that in a while. You're right. I haven't heard very much about about his injury in a bit, and that's kind of concerning. Yeah, like it, it almost – it worries me more that they're keeping it quiet rather than if they were telling us yeah. and saying like, oh, yeah, he's got another month. Well, okay, that sucks, but at least we kind of have an idea. But not knowing leads timeline. me to think – Yeah, like not knowing leads me to think it's probably a muscular issue. Which, I mean, I, I guess that's what they said it is. It's his oblique, right? But it was it? Wait. Was his the oblique or was his? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They said it was some sort of soft tissue injury around there. Yeah, and, and you just don't know when that's going to recover. Are... Yeah, I guess there's no real timeline on that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's that's worrisome because, like, that also leads me to think that maybe management of the Jays might just give up on this year and try and roll it back for next year. Yeah, like, not that I want Trevor Bauer on the Jays, but right now Trevor Bauer looks like a better investment than George Springer. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, why would they go out and try and acquire some pieces halfway through a season when the season's already not quite going the way you want it to. I mean, they're still above 500. They're still third in the East, but like, it just doesn't look like things are clicking right now. No. And, and the thing about that for me is like, if they're going to get pieces, they got to get them now. If they want to get into this conversation, they can't be waiting until the trade deadline. They got to go out and figure out who's available right now. And I don't know if anyone is available right now or any, anyone that's going to make a big enough impact is, a, would be available right now unless they're going to pay a big price. Well, that's kind of what I thought is that nobody's really available right now uh, because so many teams are in that same situation. The blue Jays are like, not very many divisions have uh, teams that have completely ran away with it. So there's a lot of teams that think they're in the mix. You know what I mean? So it makes it hard to identify a target in which you could go after and maybe get an affordable price when a bunch of people like think that they're in the mix for the next couple of years or for the next couple of games at least. And the longer that the standings stay this tight, the less and less people are going to be available up until the trade deadline. And the trade deadline might be too late for the Blue Jays. See, I don't, I don't know if the trade line trade deadline is going to be too late for the Jays just because like Vladdy's been firing on all cylinders. Ryu's been solid other than like a couple of games here and there where he's kind of fallen off. So like, I don't know. I think they have enough pieces keeping them in the running, keeping them above 500, that they're still going to be in the playoff picture. 
come trade deadline, I don't think they're going to fall that far down. And if guys like Springer come come back in the second half of the season, like we're not even halfway through the season quite yet, then they still have lots of games to make up ground if they can figure out what's causing the inconsistency that they have right now. Yeah, and I did a little bit of digging around too. By the look of it, a lot of people believe that the Blue Jays' schedule is kind of front-loaded. So they're playing a lot of their difficult teams. Uh, they're not playing as many in-division games right now as they probably will closer to the end of the season. They've just been – they haven't really played any of those um, teams where you're like, we have to get this win or we're not the team we think we are yet. They're playing a lot of the teams in the similar position as them, and those are becoming competitive games. So before you know it, the Jays are going to get into a part of their schedule that's a little bit easier, and I think they're going to open some people's eyes up a little bit. Well, and I feel like we saw that earlier this year already with the Rays. Like, the Rays have gone through their stretch of easier games, and that boosted them to the top of the East. And now, I I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at the race schedule, but if they're going to get into their harder portion in the latter half of the season, then they might start to fall, and that opens the door for the Jays to make a push. Yeah, and I think that push is pretty realistic. Like, I see this team being a a cuss team. Like, maybe they get in, maybe they don't, but they're going to be right on that doorstep all year. And I think uh, if you're a Jays fan with how young this team is, I think you got to take that for what it is and be happy with this season. This team has a long way to go, and a lot of these guys are really young, especially in baseball terms. So I only see upsides in this team still. And, and the Jays have a great prospect pool, so there's lots of ability to bring in players or develop more players that are going to fit into that core group. Yeah, and that's what actually I so at the start of the season I really I was in the mindset of like this is a year we've got to push for it. But now as the season's gone on, I've kind of realized what you were saying at the start of the season of no, this is still sort of a development season for a lot of these guys as much as like as much as some of the big names are having career years so far they're still developing. They're still young. They're still growing as a core. Um, and it might be another one, two years before they're at the level where they're in the World Series picture. And I think if I'm a Jays fan, I'm willing to wait. It, like, it looks like once they get to that level, they're going to be in that World Series picture for a while. Yeah. And that's what it takes to win. You got to be in the mix multiple years and finally happen to get your opportunity and take advantage of it. And this team is set up really well to be able to do that. Yeah, it really feels like they're building a legacy team here or the potential for a legacy team rather than just uh, one shot, win the the World Series, and then fall apart kind kind of a team. And and that's similar to what kind of happened with the last iteration of the Jays that was good. They were all kind of closer to the end of their career than the beginning. 
So if they didn't win when they were when they were good for those two or three seasons, I what like you knew that they weren't gonna win. You knew that their window wasn't very long. Yeah, it was sort of all or nothing. Um, I hate to bring this back up, and I meant to tell you that I wanted to talk about it a little bit, but I wanted to get your opinion on it. I think they should let Vladdy play at third, and I didn't think I would say this, but from my perspective now, he he can't get that much better at hitting. Like, he needs to continue to work on some different things and his ability to move the ball around and, and control where it goes. But he's got that, and he was one of the first international pro- prospects to have such a high hitting rate as a young player. Like, this guy's always known how to hit the ball. And he's got so many more years of development left. Like, I just don't, don't know how he can develop much more offensively. And we're seeing so much growth out of him as a fielder. I honestly do kind of want to see him at third now, just because this kid's young and he's developing very, very fast. And he can only get so far as a first baseman. There's only so much more he can develop. And I really don't know how much more you can develop his hitting game. No, I think you're right there. Like he is sort of hitting his ceiling for batting which, I mean, isn't a bad thing because it's already a high ceiling. But, I, I mean, I, I've said it before. I totally think that they should give him a shot at third, especially right now because they're sort of in a gray area. Why not give it a shot before it's too late in the season to, to try and turn back? And he might blow people away there, right? Give him a couple of games to get used to – the different play style of third base versus first base. And he, we've seen him be more agile this year. We've seen him be a little bit more willing to dive for the ball and, um, and leap around a bit. So I think that they should give him a shot at third. Uh, I don't see, I don't see any downside to it is the biggest thing. I think at this point is that like maybe at the start of the year, you could argue that, yeah, you want to, Biggio to be your third baseman, but he hasn't been fantastic this year. And so there's, and he's, he's been fighting injuries and stuff throughout the year. So I think it's an opportunity to try it and give it a shot, see what happens. Give him a couple of weeks there. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, but why not give him a go? Yeah, I would say the same thing. Like we basically said that at the start of the season that it was up to Biggio whether Vladdy ended up playing at third or not. And right now I would say Biggio's done nothing uh, to tell me that Vladdy doesn't deserve a shot at third base. Like, I think the ball was in his court. Uh, I listened to our first couple episodes. I said that a lot, so I'm bringing it back. The ball's in Biggio's court as far as whether Vladdy got a chance at third base and I think he's earned it at this point because Biggio hasn't really done anything that makes you think we definitely can't move this guy. So I'm just looking it up too, though. Didn't the Jays just bring up a young guy that was playing on third that was doing really solid? Um, I don't, I don't know if his primary position is third, but yeah, they did just bring somebody up. I uh, can't remember what his name is off the top of my head, but 
Um, but yeah, so I guess maybe that's. Oh, is it Joe Panic? Is that the guy I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm pretty sure he did come back up. So yeah, that's probably who you're thinking of. The other thing is like they've been talking about Vigio as a utility guy the whole time he's been coming through. So they're pretty confident that he can move around. Yeah, and I, like I think that like <laughs> as as weird as it is, like. The majority of Major League Baseball players can easily slot into a fir- first base position. First base is generally known as the easiest defensive position as long as you can catch the ball. Because <laughs> um, like there's less running around, it's less physical, right? So why not just switch them? Flip them for a few games. See what happens. Yeah, I honestly think that wouldn't even be the worst idea. I think Biggio needs some confidence. Like, the kid has played lights out in many different levels and even for the Blue Jays. I think something just is rattled him right now. You got to give him a chance to maybe just play somewhere that's a little more simple for him, focus on getting his offensive game going because we know that he has that, build that confidence back out from there. Yeah. I don't know if I have much else to say about the Jays. I feel like that kind of we we covered the position they're in right now, which is kind of an uncertain position still, but it's that's where they are. They're in this level of uncertainty. And uh there's a lot worse places to be. Uh it's not a perfect relation, but it kind of reminds me of like the Senators this year where Given how the Blue Jays came into the season, it's similar to the Senators, and not quite, because obviously the Blue Jays had a little bit higher expectations. But given everything that's happened, there's a lot of optimism to be had. Yeah, and actually, speaking of optimism, the date that I've heard now is July 27th. That's when they're either staying in Buffalo or coming back to Canada. So there's a chance that the Jays will actually play in Canada starting at the start of August. I mean, fans probably won't be allowed in the building, but even still, it'd be great to see them playing in their home field because that just, it makes a difference. Yeah, it means something to me watching it at home too, like knowing that they're in Canada. Like, uh, it doesn't happen in hockey. But there is something really cool about baseball and basketball in Canada where the Blue Jays and the Raptors, they're Canada's team. There's like a really cool vibe about that. And I, I honestly think basically what I was trying to say is that I think that when all these players aren't playing in Canada, they don't get the opportunity to feel what it's like to be Canada's team. Like you, like you do if you play for the Raptors or the Blue Jays. And it's a really interesting dynamic, and I think it opens the eyes of some players who might consider leaving and, and make them want to stay. And I think it does a disservice to the Blue Jays if they're not at home. Yeah, and I think as with on that point, as much as I'm frustrated that it's the Habs moving on, I'm glad that they're going to be able to play 
in Canada in front of at least 2,500 of their own fans. Like, I think that it, it makes a significant difference to be able to play in your own, own arena or field and have your hometown fans or yeah, have your hometown fans in the building, even if it's just a, a few of them. So that's actually something I wanted to talk to. And I think you're a hundred percent right. As much as, as a bitter Leafs fan, you know, I didn't know what to think about the Habs. Honestly, they can have the most fans in the building. That's what sports is all about. That represents Canadian hockey a lot better than a hundred healthcare workers. I think it's ridiculous that they weren't allowed more healthcare workers because they're fully vaccinated. But we're not a politics podcast, so I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> but it's a huge opportunity for Montreal and and their fans to showcase what hockey means to Canada, and they have the best opportunity to do it. So I'm glad that they are where they are now that I've kind of gotten over it a little bit. Yeah, that's I'm I'm glad that they're there for the fans. As much as I hate Habs fans because they're loud and they're annoying and they come out of the woodwork only when the Habs are doing well. And I mean, I guess you could say that's every fan group and people say that about the Leafs as well, but it makes me happy to know that Canadian fans will get to watch the sport that they have grown up loving. And that is Canada sport. And it's just a good, it's a good story for the Habs fans to enjoy yeah and honestly i hope they do their best to represent canada as much as i don't know how i'd feel about watching them win the cup i'm also sick of not seeing a canadian team win it i want to see a canadian team win the stanley cup sooner rather than later i want to see a canadian team win the stanley cup next year i don't want it to happen this year fuck the habs um (laughs) i yeah as much as i'm pro canada I can't cheer for the Habs. I can't bring myself to do it. I tried. I've tried to I'm look not at this and be happy, and I just can't do it. I'm not going to be able to cheer for them. I'm not going to be able to. But at the same time, I'm so sick of that narrative of like, oh, the Americans always win the Stanley Cup. Well, like, yeah, with your 70% Canadian roster, <laughs> you won the Stanley Cup. Well, yeah, and how many – there's, what, seven teams in Canada versus – I don't know, math quickly, what, 24 in the state? Like, that ratio just doesn't add up to meaning Canada wins all the time, right? Like, statistically, it's just not going to happen. No, and and because of the division alignments, Canadian teams are likely to eliminate other Canadian teams. Yeah. Even in a normal year, in this COVID year, Canada, as much as everyone's like, oh, it's easy to get out of the Canadian division, the Canadian teams are, the Canadian fans are getting screwed. Like, if the Habs don't win this next series, there's no Canadian teams at all because they've eliminated each other and then the Habs get beat. Yeah. So, why don't we talk about this next series? Um, So, it's going to be the Habs versus either the Golden Knights or the Avalanche. We don't know which one yet, but. That's going to be a hard matchup for both of them, but I'm going to say it now. I think if it's the Avalanche, 
the Habs have a better chance at beating the Avalanche than they do the Golden Knights. And I'll, I'll explain my thought process here. So looking at the teams that um, that the Habs have beat so far with their system that they've been running during this playoff, which is very defensive. It's score first, make a fortress, don't let them in, control the play in the neutral zone and control the play in, play in the defensive zone, and then break out and get lucky, lucky goals for the most part. So looking at the Avalanche, they are a very offensive team. They've got their stars, and then they've got their depth a little bit down. They've got stronger defense than the Leafs, but I feel like the Avalanche are built in a similar way to the Leafs, whereas Vegas is built in a similar way to the Habs. They are very similar teams. I think Vegas is the better team, so I think Vegas is probably still going to win that series if they, um, if that's who they end up facing. But I think because of that, the Habs have a better chance at beating Colorado than they do at beating Vegas. So I'm really happy you said this because it's going to make the podcast way more interesting because I feel the exact opposite, to be honest. Oh, really? Okay. Let's hear I it. Think the, I think the Habs have been playing this like defensive playoff style. Uh, I was talking to Dylan, who we had on the podcast um, earlier, talking about wheelchair rugby. I was talking to him the other day because he's a big Habs fan, and I – Basically, like, we were just chatting about the playoffs, and I said that I think the Habs right now are playing the most traditional playoff hockey in the playoffs. And if they can continue doing what they're doing, I actually think they have a good chance at having success. I think they'd be better suited to play against Vegas. I don't think Vegas can match their physical play, but there's a lot of players hidden in the top bottom nine of Colorado that are hard to play against. Jonas Donskoy comes to mind. There's just a lot of players that are going to play a similar way to the way the Canadians are playing in playoffs, and they haven't really met up with a team like that yet. So, I think if they play Vegas, they might have a better chance, because Vegas is going to try to play a skill game, and the Habs have shown their ability to shut down the skill game. They got through the Leafs, and then they made quick work of Winnipeg. I just think that um, Colorado is more of a fully developed roster. Their team uh, can do everything the Leafs were trying to do this year, be a physical team that has offense and has lots of character players that can be game breakers. Colorado just has more game breakers. and. I think that um, the style that Vegas plays just doesn't match up very well against the Habs if they can continue to execute their game plan that they've been going forward with so far. See, my thinking is that the that Vegas and the Habs play a fairly similar style. I don't know that Vegas is going to go full skill all all the time. I think Vegas is able to control the pace of play a lot better um, better than Colorado, and we've seen that so far this series. Like, yeah, it took a couple games for Vegas to figure out that Colorado was 
uh, playing that fast, hard game. But now, since Vegas has figured that out, they've been able to slow down the pace and bring it back to where Vegas wants to be, and now Vegas has won three straight. Three straight? Is that what we're at now? Two straight. I don't know. Wherever that series is at now, it's there's a lot of numbers around <laughs> that I've been looking at. But, um, but they, so Vegas has been able to, after learning the how Colorado is playing, control the, the pace of the game a lot better and play smart defensively. And, and I think that that's similar to what Montreal was doing in both series really is, is controlling play, playing smart defensively, and then just getting off, um, making the most of your offensive opportunities when they present themselves, but not outright forcing the offensive opportunities. So that's in that sense, I feel like Vegas and Montreal play a very similar style, but Vegas has more offensive skill and will capitalize on the offensive opportunities more than Montreal would. Uh, I can't decide whether I want Vegas to get beat out just because I don't, like, I don't want to see them be successful. Super frustrating as a guy who's been a fan of a team for a really long time and watch them struggle and then watch what Vegas did. And now they've accumulated all these really good players and they don't have to give anything up in the expansion draft. So I'm kind of bitter. I'm sorry. Like, I, I just, I'm not a huge Vegas guy. Um, the other, but the other storyline that I want to see is I want to see Max Pacioretty take out his old team in the Montreal Canadiens. I don't, I don't know what his health is like. I kind of keep thinking he'll be back at some point soon. He might have actually been back recently. I haven't caught the last two Vegas games, um, but. There are some good storylines if you get Vegas, Montreal. Yeah, and Colorado I think- is one of the Colorado is a team kind of like the Leafs, where I think their window is wide open, and if they don't start taking advantage of it soon, they're going to be in trouble uh, before they know it. Yeah, I think that it's more likely that Colorado is going to win this series. That's my gut feeling is that Colorado is going to beat Vegas, and then Colorado will beat Montreal as well. Um, but I think Montreal will put up a fight if they face, or they'll put up more of a fight if they face Colorado. Oh, and uh, I meant to tweet this the other day, and I forgot, so I'm going to say it on the podcast. Nathan McKinnon is the Connor McDavid of the playoffs, and Connor McDavid really wishes Connor McDavid was the Connor McDavid of the playoffs. Yep. So actually, this morning we had the um, the Hart nominations come out. Obviously, McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon are the the top three. I guess the Hart is voted based on the regular season, but if you were to include the playoffs, does that change your vote at all? Knowing now that McDavid was shut down in the first round, absolutely. Nathan McKinnon is showing that he's a gamer. He steps up when it matters. 
Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, those guys still have question marks whether they have the ability to bring it to the next level. And uh, this is my narrative when the Habs finally lose and they try to bug me about beating the Leafs is that the playoffs or the whole season is about winning the Stanley Cup. So if you didn't win and I didn't win, I don't really care. And that's where, to me, you could be swayed on Nathan McKinnon for the heart because these are the games that matter. Guess who's the Colorado Avalanche's best player? Nathan McKinnon by a mile. Now, do we want to talk about the uh, Islanders-Tampa series at all? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I think that's going to be a really interesting series. So it's a rematch of last year's semifinal. Tampa won in six and like won definitively in six, I would say. They pretty much controlled the series. So I really don't know if the Islanders have what it takes or if they've grown enough over the past year to beat out essentially the exact same team that dominated them last year. So I do like the Islanders' moves, like bringing in Kyle Palmieri. He's super slept-on player. I love how he plays, and he's playing really well for them in the playoffs. He's got a little bit of an edge to his game. He showed that uh, last night. It wouldn't surprise me if he got fined for that. But oh yeah, he'll get got to do what fine. you got to do. Got to do what you got to do to win in the playoffs. Yep. And um, people want to say, like you said, they scored a bunch of quick goals last night. Well. If I remember correctly, those uh, quick goals happened when Charlie McAvoy was in the quiet room. Yep. At least one of them did. Yeah, so, uh, like, obviously, uh, you don't want to see players intentionally injuring other players. I don't think that was the intention. But you got to compete in the playoffs, and they do have a lot of players that I would want on my team in the playoffs. Yeah, I'd agree. That's what, like, it's, they have such an interesting team because I I don't know if I've ever seen a team built the way that their team is built. Like, I've, I don't know, maybe I just haven't been watching or paying attention to hockey long enough, but having the amount of depth that they have and having their fourth line play only, like, two minutes less than their top line that system that system is not like anything that i've seen in my lifetime and it's i'm interested to see if the system will beat out just the all out firepower of not only tampa's offense but their solid defense too i'm just kind of confused you said the Islanders' first line. How do you even know who their first line is at this point? Like you said, their team is so balanced. And they get their scoring from all over the place. I can barely even tell what their, who their first line is when you're watching the game. Like one night, they're carried by the Bailey line. The next night, uh, last night, Brock Nelson had a game. Yeah, Nelson and then you had got a Barzell. Game last night. Like... like they really, to me, like, that is what makes them sneaky good. Is, like, I think a lot of their lines could be another team's second line. 
And with Torts' system, they just got to take advantage of the opportunities when they get them. And maybe that's the best way to do it, is just make it impossible to match up with your guys all night. You don't have one line that's incredibly unreal, but plain and simple, other teams just can't match with you shift after shift after shift. And as long as you take advantage of your opportunities, you win the game. But I would argue Tampa Bay is similar in that sense of it's really hard to match up shift after shift after shift because I guess Tampa's fourth line is their their weakest point. But even still, their fourth line is contains Tyler Johnson and Patrick Maroon, which are two great players. Obviously, like yeah, but, um, players that anyone would want on their team. It's true. Yeah, I can't argue the the depth of the Islanders. the The only thing to me uh, on Tampa Bay side is you can have all the depth you want, but where's the Islanders, Victor Hedman? Because I don't see him. Yeah. I don't know where the Islanders' Victor Hedman is, and I don't think they know. And I don't even know if there will be another Victor Hedman in the next 10 years. He is – he just makes playing defense at the NHL level look way too easy. He does, yeah. He is just a perennial all-star player for a reason. There's – there's lots of guys where I think, you know, if my buddy's kid was really into hockey, I'd be like, you got to watch that guy. He works really, really hard. I don't even know if I would tell people to watch Victor Hedman because he does things that some really, really good players who have been in the NHL over the years haven't been able to do. Right. Like, he has a similar impact on the game as a Nick Lidstrom, and that's pretty good company to put yourself in. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Also, I don't know if we talked about it on another podcast, but I'm still kind of bitter about the Kucherov thing. Like, he skated for a long time, and most guys don't skate for three months before they play again. No. Most skate for, like, two weeks, maybe a month, and then play. So, like, and I I get that they had the ability to do it, but to me, like, It's not going to surprise me if the NHL does something about that. Yeah, they gave him an entire offseason in the middle of a season. Yeah. And I don't know. It's tough because what they did is entirely legal. It's just greasy to do. Like, it is. It's just a a shady move. Yeah, it's it's 100% legal. And honestly, kudos to them for doing it. I just don't know that it will be 100% legal if we were to have this conversation next season. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that that's a rule that they're going to look into. And the other part of it is for me is that Tampa Bay, they might want to win back-to-back because um, I don't know what happens with Tampa in the expansion draft. They have so many good players and... and um, they're so close to the cap. Like, there's a lot of guys there that are going to move on and be wearing different jerseys at the end of next season, I think. So, as much as I, I'm not a huge fan of seeing teams go back-to-back, that's got to be 
the focus of the Tampa Bay Lightning through and through because I think if you're looking around that dressing room, you know that there's going to be a lot of people that aren't there next year. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because even... they tried, really, they tried really hard to give away Tyler Johnson, and they couldn't do it because nobody was willing to help them. No, everyone's like, "Look at your team! Look at how good you are! You think we're gonna help you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what their team is gonna look like. Like, I haven't done a deep dive on their contracts or anything, but who's a free agent this year? Like, who could they dump overboard? And would they want to? They obviously want to get out of Tyler Johnson. We just talked about it. Yeah. I think about, um, like, they managed to get a couple of their guys on bridge deals. So, like, I don't know that next year is the be-all, end-all for them. But I think if they don't offload one of those guys, um, Sergachev or, like, a a lower down forward in their forward group that's pretty good. Like, like they have so many. It's, it's hard to pick a guy. But if they wait until two years from now when they're really in trouble, they're going to be in the same situation. They're not going to be able to get anything for those assets because nobody's going to want to help them. So I think they need to get ahead of it and do it at the end of this offseason. And maybe people will be more interested. Like... uh. Sorelli and um, Point took bridge deals. Well, both those guys are unreal in the center ice. Yeah, both of them can be top-line centers. Plain and simple, you can't have all of those guys. Maybe they're more willing to move an old guy. Maybe they move Samkos. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it earlier, like a few weeks ago on the podcast. Calgary might be in the market for one of those guys. They might be able to get a big return for one of those guys from a team like Calgary. Yeah, and I think Calgary is literally way closer to being a playoff team than people give them credit for. Like, uh, This sounds crazy coming out of my mouth because I know how hard it can be for teams to get a guy, but if Calgary had a number one center, they're a million times better. Their D is deep. They have some forwards that play an interesting way, like guys that I would want on my team. I think uh, I think there is some room there for them so, to really improve if they were able to get one of those guys. Totally off topic. I'm just looking at uh, um, Tampa Bay's defense because I, I hadn't looked. I forgot they got Savard too. That is greasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, their decor is so gross. Yeah, Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, Savard as your top four. Yeah, and realistically, you could roll those four, not even play the bottom pair, guys. Yeah. Like, Sorry, that's what you're saying. Their, their third line was their weakness. We were talking about it earlier. They don't even – or their fourth line. They don't even need to play their fourth line. They could just keep rolling their top set, or their top nine and – I'm pretty sure they could still make a really good shot at winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they probably could. Sorry, what were you saying about Calgary, though? We had, we had switched topics, and then I went backwards. <laughs> Calgary could really use one of those centers, and if they got one, they would definitely turn the corner. 
Right. Yeah, and Tampa could get a, either solid prospects if Calgary's got them, or maybe Calgary will take the Tyler Johnston contract to to make room there, or to make that happen. I don't know what their cap situation is, but I'm not even sold that Tyler Johnston's not still a great player. Some guys just can't play a third, fourth line role. Like, they just don't have it. They've never done it their whole life. Right. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't surprise me to see Tyler Johnson have a career resurgence somewhere. Maybe not for a super long time, because he's obviously getting up there, but it wouldn't be mind-blowing to see him get going again. Like, at one point, uh, Tyler Johnson and... Fuck. I can't even remember what the line was now. But they had what? It was called like the triplets line or something. And they were the best second line in the NHL under, under a lot of opinions. So, and most of those guys are still on the team and have just been moved down the depth chart. Like the riches are just so deep in Tampa. I just don't, first off, they don't get enough credit for what they've done and they get a ton of credit. So that's saying something. But I just think that there's some uh, talent to be mined by their teams off that team. Yeah, I think there definitely is. And there, there's an opportunity for Tampa to start getting prospects before they have to actually rebuild. Like, they could start their rebuild without having to actually rebuild because they've got so much talented depth that they're in a really good spot. And if they do it right, could maintain that really good spot for years to come, whereas if they do it wrong, they could become Detroit in three three to five years. Yeah, exactly. Detroit just didn't get any value out of any of their guys. Like, I even still think back to uh, JVR, Bozak. Like, the Leafs might be in a different position if they'd done a better job managing those assets instead of holding on to them. Yeah. So I guess you mentioned JVR and Bozak. Why don't I pose this question to you that I thought of while watching the Islanders game last night, watching Komarov play, watching Matt Martin play, both former Leafs now making it deep in the playoffs. So if you could choose one former Leaf that is still playing in the league to join our team next year, money doesn't matter, just the players coming in, they're going to play for us. What form relief would you take? All right, JVR, no doubt in my mind do I want him back. Battled with the Leafs through some of the toughest times of the Leafs in recent years. Gave them a lot. Was like one of the most uh, slept on sneaky trades that the Leafs have made in all my years as a Leaf fan. Uh, when you look at where Luke Shannon has ended up, obviously Stanley Cup winner, but He's not nearly the player that JVR has been over the past couple years, especially not in the years JVR was a Leaf. He he fits the type of player that the Leafs still need, a guy who's willing to play the front of the net but has the skill to actually do damage up there. A lot of guys are willing to stand there and, and screen and this and that. But JVR, if he's there, you got a chance at a goal every time. And I honestly think that he has a chance to play uh, for a really long time because uh, 
other than his earlier injury concerns coming out of Philadelphia when he came to the Leaf, he's been relatively healthy. He never had, had a ton of foot speed. You don't need a ton of foot speed to play the game that he plays. This guy could hang around for a long time and be an impact player, and that's why it would be cool to see him back with the Leafs. Yeah, I would agree with that one. That He's probably – I would say he's my top pick if I had to pick. Just, like, throw him on a line with Marner and Matthews. Marner and Matthews can get the puck and toss it to him, or he'll get that greasy tip on a, on a Matthews wrist shot. Like, he would be – Maybe not the perfect player for that line, but he would have a chance to be really dangerous on that line. I originally was thinking he could play with Tavares and Nylander on that second line, but Tavares is already sort of a net front presence, so you don't need two net front presences on the same line, although that could be really annoying for a goaltender. So you throw him on that top line, and he's just going to tip it in every time. Because that's what he does. That's what he's good at. I just think he he has a, a skill set that the Leafs don't have. He can actually do everything Wayne Simmons tried to do this year. And, like, I actually hope to see Wayne Simmons back in a Leafs uniform. But JVR could actually do those things effectively. I could see him being a 65-point a player on that line that you were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So there were two other names that came to mind. One was sort of an obvious one, sort of one that pissed me off that I thought of it, but Tuka Rask, which I don't know. Can you call him a Leaf? I don't know because he wasn't techni- never technically played for the team, but, I mean, he's still a great goalie. I wouldn't mind seeing him, seeing him join us next year. But the other name was Mason Marchment. I wouldn't be opposed to getting him back on the Leafs. I think that he's proven himself in Florida really well. And he could come back as the player he's become and really have an impact on this team. Whereas when we sold him, the, at that point, he wasn't, wouldn't have been an impact player on the team at all. Yeah, I also like that he played. I actually don't necessarily think he got the fair shake with the Leafs. He should have got a half second longer just because he plays that exact style. It, like, if he developed into the ideal player that we thought he could, he is exactly what the Leafs need. Who do we get for him? We got... Uh, we got Dennis right. Mulligan. Yeah, I just got there, too. We got yeah. Dennis Mulligan. <clears throat> Who at the time, like, I didn't hate the idea. He's younger. He wasn't getting the opportunity in Florida. Um, turns out that was for good reason. He he didn't really end up being a, a, an impact player for the Leafs either. The part that I hate about it now that I kind of hated about it at the time, but I was trying to be positive, is he's exactly what we already have. Like Mason Marchment, the one thing that I liked about him is he was everything the Leafs don't have. And Dennis Malgin is everything the Leafs do have. Yeah. Although that would have happened... That trade was last season. was Like, last offseason, not the most recent one. Yeah. So that would have been before Dubas realized that skill wasn't going to win. Like, skill alone wasn't going to win. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I 100%. Now that you say that, you're right. He was still on the other mentality at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hadn't he hadn't changed his thought process yet. That's why I want to go get the other Felino. Yeah, it was cool to have Nick Felino. Uh, he's obviously a better player than Marcus. I honestly just think Marcus has uh, skills that would be beneficial to the Leafs. I also think that um, Minnesota has a little bit of a surplus in like third line gritty type players. They have Jordan Greenway. They have Marcus Foligno. Yeah, they definitely do. Because they're coming off of uh, being a system team, right? Like they're at the tail end of being a system team and they're sort of transitioning into an offense first team with Kaprizov and, and some of the other guys that are coming up through their system. So there's a chance that they might be willing to move some of those grittier, more system-focused pieces. Yeah, and there's a couple pieces there I would like. I don't think you're going to get Jordan Greenway because I think he's still young and there's still a lot of upside there. But Marcus Foligno's getting up there and he's affordable. That's a guy I would like to see with the Leafs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And just a guy that knows his role. The Leafs need guys who, like, know that they're third liners. Like, they don't think, oh, like, maybe if I have a good season, I'll end up on Matthews and Marner's wing. Like, there's a gazillion guys in the Leafs organization that could end up there. Well, I would argue that that's sort of what they brought in with bringing in the old boys that they brought in last year was all these players that knew their role and would try and play their role to the best of their ability. I don't know. Do you really think that Joe Thornton's role was on the wing on the first line? Because I'm a little concerned. I got No, like, that's that true. Sorry. I was... And if he never got injured, I think we would have kept doing it. Yeah, I was thinking later in the season when he was on the fourth line, not at the start. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I at the end of the season, I liked it. At the start of the season, I was like, what are we doing? I'd rather have Nick Robertson there. See, at the start of the season, I was okay with it for about three games. And then I was like, all right, that novelty is worn off. Let's move on. Let's move him to where he should be. Exactly. All right. Since we've talked about the Leafs more and more, uh, why don't we put that conversation to bed? And let's. Uh, did you come up with any locked on the left, field, left fields, or do you want to just go into our players of the week? No, I got a few if you want to go over those quick. Yeah, let's get into them. Let me get back to them here. I had them pulled up a second ago. Can Can Vladdy win the MVP if the Blue Jays aren't a playoff team? Likely. Yeah, I'm going to make that one likely. I think that the season he's had, having it be sort of like with the story of all the work that he put in in the offseason and having that pay off, I think that plays into it. I think that there is a good chance of that that happening. So I'm going to make it likely. So I actually have this as a lock. And mostly because I got in a fight with some Americans on on MLB.com the other day is where this question came from. Basically, they were trying to say that Vladdy couldn't win because he's on a Canadian team and nobody sees him and they're not even going to make the playoffs. Well, guess what? Mike Trout wins MVPs. Nobody's ever even seen him play in the playoffs, and he is a Canadian. 
So I just, I don't really have, there's no real good argument for that. That was just some nationalism coming from the U.S., uh, thinking that one of their guys should win. In reality, we're watching baseball move away from American players pretty quickly, at least offensively. Yeah, I do see their point in the fact that less people see him play, because you think about it, is is the MLB, is it voted by reporters like hockey is? Or like some of the hockey awards are anyway? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I, I don't know that for sure, but for some reason I think it is. So I could see the majority of the American reporters ignoring Vladdy a little bit, but the game that he's playing right now, putting himself at the top of all of the leaderboards makes it hard to ignore when you see his name in your face all the time. Yeah, I think he'll get a lot of votes from guys who probably don't deserve to have their vote. There are those guys every year, right? Same guys that put Patrice Bergeron down every time for the Selkie. Yeah. Just because they're not really watching too closely. If you're not, if this was just a year where you weren't able to watch super closely, you look at those stats, how can you write a name down that's not Vladdy? Yeah. But it's still going to happen because people carry biases. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and, uh, and that's exactly how that'll keep going. But honestly, I, th- I think they're going to have to open up their eyes a little bit because I, I think the Blue Jays, being a serious team, is here to stay. And if Vladdy's in MVP conversations at this age, the Blue Jays will be in playoffs, and he will put up MVP-level numbers. So even if he doesn't get it this year, it's only a matter of time. Yep, I'd agree with that. but. I, that's a, I agree that it's a likely, not necessarily a lock. All right. I can, I can get behind that. So the other thing is that the next one I had is, do you think the Leafs' big four will be together for the start of next season? And I kind of had that as like Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares. I've got that as a lock. I think – whether it's the right call for it to be a lock or not is to be determined. But I think that's the route they're going. I think that Dubas and Shanahan are sticking behind their their core that they've built, and <laughs> I think that they're going to stick with it. So I actually have it as an unlikely for me just because I'm frustrated. We've seen this team uh, do the exact same thing for a couple years now. And I don't know exactly how they're going to get better with the core intact. It's not like they have a ton of cap space. Um, that's kind of why I have it as an unlikely, but that might also just be me being bitter with the playoff results. I just, I just want to see something change where I can be like, all right, we're, we're going to turn a corner here. And I don't know how that can happen with that core intact. Morgan Riley. That's how it's going to happen. I'm convinced that that's, that he's the piece that's moving. I don't want him to be, but I'm convinced that that's what's going to happen. You know, we wouldn't be in this whole situation if we just hadn't signed Tavares and we'd made Morgan Riley captain like we probably should have. Like, it, like, I love having Tavares, but I feel like it just, it put our team on so much more of a fast track. And, like, the window, it was more wide open, but... When the window's wide open, it's also closer to closing than it is to opening up. Yeah. I also wonder if 
some of the movement we see is behind the bench. Not necessarily Keith, but oh, what's his name that came from Vancouver? See, I man, even Holtra. Yeah. See, like at the beginning of the year, we were scoring a lot off the faceoff, and I think he had a lot to do with that. I, I'd kind of like to see him stick around and try to carve it out, figure it out. But he was also the power play coach. And yeah, we I know do, how that went. I do so. agree. Yeah. I just think, I, in my head, I picture him of who he was for Vancouver. And he is everything the Leafs currently need. So yeah. maybe he can just, like, he can rub some of that off. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I but, could see that because how yeah. much – you got to do something. You got to do something. Yeah, and I think there is going to be significant player turnover in the bottom six. I think there's a chance that Kerfoot gets taken by Seattle. So you got to fill that role. So that And that also opens up a little money. So there's going to be significant player turnover. But I think that that killer instinct – could come from the bench. It doesn't necessarily have to be the players themselves. It could be there there could be a significant impact from an older guy that's been around the league being on the bench. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like uh not everything has to come from players that are on the ice. I mean the results have to come from the players on the ice, but I think the bench could lead to those results more. Yeah, I'm not ready to give up on Keith yet. No, I'm definitely not ready to give up on Keith. I think that he I get he was questionable during the playoffs just because he was sticking with the Matthews Marner line over and over again. I think by game six, second half of game six, maybe you switch that up and you move Marner down to the Tavares Nylander line and, and jumble things up a little bit and he didn't do that so much, but I want my only criticism. Nylander back, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I would have been totally okay Nylander, with that. Nylander was flying, and I didn't think Matthews was playing that bad. I think Matthews was struggling because he's used to having Marner, and Marner wasn't playing like Marner. Yeah. Like, plain and simple, yeah, there's a lot of hate going on for both those guys right now. And, and I hate to say it, but I feel like more of that falls on Marner's plate then he's getting credit for, and he's taking a lot of heat right now. Yeah. All right, we had that discussion last episode. What Do you have any more locked on or left field? I got one more. All right. And it's one that I didn't want to write down, but do you think that the Habs are going to go to the finals? Unlikely. I'm going with unlikely. I just don't think that they have the top-end skill or that, that high-end skill that – all of the other teams that are left in the playoffs have other than maybe the Islanders. Like the Islanders obviously don't have that high end skill, but they have that system that works. But between Colorado and the Golden Knights, those teams are just better teams. And I don't know if Montreal is going to be able to work this system that they've got going against those teams because honestly even like I would say both of those teams are better than the Leafs were in the regular season 
Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Um, I think that you're going to see them get there, honestly, just because this is Carey Price's last kick of the can, and he's playing like it. Is he? How many more years does he have on his $10 million contract? Is this his last kick oh, of the can? Oh, he's got like five. He's got five, but he is, I don't know that he can play like this for very many more years. Well, he doesn't have to. He takes the entire season off, and then he just shows up in the goddamn playoffs. Uh, I guess you're right. He plays for two months a Hon- year. Honestly, I'm kind of bitter because, like, at this point, like, it's stupid to say, but I said for, like, five years that I could be the GM of the Habs and get more wins at a carry price. Because they just needed, like, an extra 20 goal score. Yeah. And, like, people are like, oh, like, yeah, 20 goal score, blah, blah. Not that easy to get. I'm like, honestly, they're around every year to get. They got Tyler Toffoli this year, and look what it did. Like, as soon as you score three goals, your likelihood of winning the game with Carey Price in net is ridiculously high. Yeah. And that's so true. Yeah. So, like, at this point, I just, I don't want to see them win, but I have this suspicious feeling that they're going to. I don't. That's, I really think it's unlikely. All these other teams have been uh, serial chokers that they're going to have to play against. All have gotten this far and not been able to do it. There's still no pressure on the Habs, bro. They were supposed to lose to the Leafs in the first round. All these other teams have blown it. Over the last couple of years, the Habs are playing with house money right now. So it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, but the team that plays with house money almost always blows up. So you think they're going to be like the Senators a couple of years ago? They're going to think that they have a team and next year they're going to be trash? Yeah, they might be Vancouver from last year. Best team in the North, Vancouver was touted, right? Like it, during the bubble, they were fantastic. They were really, played really well. And look what happened. I don't know. Now, I yeah. think that I think Montreal is going to be better next year because I think that they have a better team built and they're, they're less luck, more actual skill and more of a, a system that they're working on right now um, compared to Vancouver. And actually, that brings up a, a topic I wanted to mention. Do you think... Dominic Ducharme could be the next great systems coach because the the way they're playing in the playoffs right now is very system like. They're not the same style of system as um as the Islanders, who is like that quintessential four lines run them system, but they are very much that score lock it down. They're clearly running the same style of play every game and it's working is that something that's going to keep working and is that going to go down as Ducharme's legacy with this system they're running I think uh, that it actually has more credit to Mark Bergevin like the like the players he's brought in are very well fit to play a system Dominic Ducharme is just, he's doing the best to implement those players in the best way. From what I, when I did a little bit of research about him, like, he's been a good coach wherever he's went. So I think this is just him 
plain and simple being a good coach and taking advantage of the players that he's got and knowing that in order to work with this player, these players, he's going to have to play a system. Similar to uh, Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz, like they're a match made in heaven. They both believe in system and system type players. Yeah. I think this was more out of necessity for the Habs, so we'll have to give it a little more time to see if that is truly who Dominic Ducharme is as a coach. But Dominic Ducharme is showing that he is a great coach. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And I guess learning his legacy will, that'll come with time. He's fresh to the league, right? So we'll see what happens over the next couple of years with him. And I actually don't know, man. There's a lot of good coaches outside of the league. Like I think you could see a lot of a lot of guys that I think are pretty good get fired this year just for a change of scenery. Like you got to figure Claude Julian probably wants back in the mix. Mike Babcock probably wants back in the mix. Yeah. Bruce Boudreaux. Um. Who? Yeah, Bruce Boudreaux out in Toronto probably wants back in the mix. Yeah. There's lots of coaches out there that are going to – they're vying for jobs, and there's going to be jobs out there for them too. Person I'm happiest for right now is Mark Bergman because he was so close to getting fired. Yep. He really was. And he's knowing how the, the, the Habs have treated him over the past couple years, this one run's probably at, added five years to his career. Like he's probably – Probably not going to end up on the hot seat again for another five years. Nope. Unless he really fucks up next year and does something stupid. But I don't see that happening. He's not a stupid guy. He he seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> no, I I think uh, we talked about at the beginning of the year that he was in on the GM of the year comp conversation. I don't know if that takes into account playoffs. But if it does, I think he's locked to win it. Yeah, I think he could be. All these other teams haven't really, like the players they're bringing back to the playoffs this year, the players they've had for the past few years. So it's hard to sit and say one of those guys is GM of the year. Yeah. All right, let's get into our player of the week. We're coming up on about an hour and a half here. So who do you have as your player of the week? So, I'm back with Andre Vasilevsky. I'm pretty sure I already did this once, but the guy's just that good. And it actually kind of bothers me that he doesn't get the attention he deserves because he's on a team where his lights-out goaltending doesn't necessarily shine. Like, he'd get the same praise as Carey Price if he played in Montreal and was on a team that could barely score two-and-a-half goals a game. Yeah, He picks up a shutout to win this series. To me, that's just ice cold. I I thought Carolina had lots of offensive firepower. He shot them down. Tampa Bay shot them down. He's a big part of that. So he's my player of the week. And I I like to support the Russian goalies because I, I hate how this narrative has changed. When I was coming out of high school, the narrative on Russian goalies was they're not any good because nobody plays defense in Russia. And now the narrative's completely flip-flopped. They're, they're so good because nobody plays defense in Russia. And most of that is on Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, 
and I think he's he's going to be a difference maker in the Islander series. If Tampa Bay is going to win it, yeah, obviously Tampa Bay has a fantastic team, but he's going to be that big difference maker in that series. It's scary to think that he's on a similar level to Carey Price, and if you score three goals, you're going to win the majority of your games. And if there was an over-under for goals at two and a half for the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm taking the over every time. Yeah. Yep. For sure. All right, I'll get into my player of the week. We started the show off talking about baseball, so I'm going to end the show talking about baseball. Talking about a player that just made his MLB debut, or his first first start in the MLB last night, and won the game for the Phillies. So let me, uh, let me set the scene here. So bottom of the ninth, the Braves have controlled the game the entire time. The Braves pitching has been outstanding only let five hits in the entire game they start off the ninth with a walk Hoskins strikes out Miller pops out to center and then this rookie walks up to the plate two outs one one player on gets one strike next pitch comes in cracks it walk off home run in his first baseball game ever in the majors wins the game it was a defensive game the entire game, and he got the only RBI in the entire game, or the only RBIs in the entire game, because it was one nothing going into the bottom of the ninth, and he was able to win it. And I just think that's a great story for this kid. It's a home run that he's going to remember for his entire career, and that one play gets him to be my player of the week. That is Luke Williams. Uh, we saw this in a similar fashion to Alec Manoa a couple weeks ago. I love seeing the families celebrate after their kid has a big game in baseball or in any sport, to be honest. But I just love that vibe. I, I know exactly how supportive my family can be. And, and I just couldn't imagine how you would feel when you put in all that time as your kid finally makes his pro debut in, in the biggest league in the world. And that's huge. And to start it off like that, doesn't matter what happens from here on out. You'll never forget that. Lots of people will always remember you. Hopefully he has a great long career. But if not, that's a memory for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's one hell of a way to start a career. All right, I guess that brings us to the end of episode 17. As always, thanks for listening. Give us a follow. Interact with us on Twitter at TFanalyst. Send us a DM on Instagram at the Fanalyst Podcast. Um, let us know if you have any stories that you want us to talk about. Any ideas for the offseason when sports end for us to talk about. That would be really helpful. And I hope you guys have a good week. Yeah, honestly, this episode was great. I don't know what necessarily made it so much fun, but it's been a good episode, so I hope you enjoyed.